2: Yes, we will, Carl. And thank you all very much. I am Brian Sullivan. This is Last Call. And as you might imagine, it is a very big and very unique hour or 45 minutes that we have for you, as well as really a fire hose of news and comments out of Elon Musk. The interview he just wrapped with David Faber and throughout the hour, we're going to be joined. Breaking reaction from Musk lovers, maybe some Musk detractors and a couple perhaps in between. Among them, Futures Fund Managing Partner Gary Black, Satori Fund Founder Dan Niles, Gerber Kawasaki CEO Ross Gerber, Vanity Fair contributor Bethany McLean, and Deepwater Managing Partner Gene Munster. And if you are just joining us or just tuning in to CNBC, here are a few of the key highlights from that Musk interview. First, Musk spoke out about the Federal Reserve and how higher interest rates are impacting the American economy.
1: My concern with the with the, the way the, the Federal Reserve is making decisions is that they, they're just operating with um, too much latency. Basically, the, the data is, is, is somewhat stale. So, they, so the Federal Reserve was, was slow to raise interest rates. Um, and, and, and now I think they are, are slow to, they're, they're going to be slow to lower them. That, that's, that, that appears to be the case.
2: Of course, Musk also talked about Twitter and some of his more controversial tweets on the social platform.
3: Do your tweets hurt the company? Are there Tesla owners who say, I don't agree with his political position because, and I know it because he shares so much of it. Or are there advertisers on Twitter that Linda Yaccarina will come and say, you got to stop, man. Or, you know, I can't get these ads because of some of the things you tweet.
1: You know, I'm reminded of uh, the the a scene in The Princess Bride. Great movie. Great movie. Um, where he confronts the person who killed his father. And he says, um, I, Offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care.
2: And, of course, Musk spoke extensively about Tesla. They were in the Tesla factory in Austin, Texas, and he detailed his vision for autonomous driving and its game-changing potential for the company.
1: Tesla is the only uh, car company selling cars that where, where we believe the, the car is capable of achieving full autonomy with a software update. So the, the value of a fully autonomous, uh, or fully autonomous car is, um, we think, um, Perhaps uh, five times more valuable than a non-autonomous car. Why?
2: All right, lot to unpack, and we're going to do that over the next forty-five or so minutes. How are investors reacting right now? Well, let's take a look at Tesla stock. It is trading real time. It is up a bit, about a buck fifty a share, or 0.9%. percent. All right, let's get now to our panel. Of experts, as we said, we've got Future Fund Portfolio Manager, Managing Partner Gary Black, Gerber Kawasaki CEO Ross Gerber, and CNBC, of course, Auto and Air Industry Reporter Phil LeBeau. Thank you all for joining us, Phil. First to you, Whew, a lot there, wasn't all in your, in, in your beat. What stuck out the most to you about Tesla?
4: Well, obviously what he said about full self-driving and the potential for what it could mean in terms of the bottom line, for Tesla, and in terms of what it could mean for transportation. I, I hate to harp on this, but he has been saying this for several years. We're close to full self driving. We're close to full self driving. We're close to full self driving. If there is a reason why there will be people who will say we've heard it before, it's because they have heard it before. Do I think on paper that Elon Musk is correct, that it could revolutionize transportation, and that it is? potentially could open on a, a world of possibilities in terms of revenue? Absolutely. But there are a lot of ifs within that possibility that I think make some people sit there and say, I'll believe it when I see it. Will they have their chat GPT moment in the next year and a half or so, as Elon suggests? Maybe. I don't doubt it, they, they have a ton of artificial intelligence that they are collecting on all of these vehicles when they are in uh, full self-driving mode. There's no doubt about that. But I also know that there are a lot of very smart people within the auto industry who have told me time and again, we are not close to seeing full self-driving automobiles.
2: Yeah, Phil, and Phil, follow up on that, because you know we've been talking about this for, for 12 years, and you know yep. there's the auto side of the business and the technology about whether it's possible Then go talk to an auto insurance executive and they'll be like, yeah, we got a lot to figure out. How do you insure it? You know, what what if something goes catastrophically wrong? Full self-driving may be a possibility from a from a technological or automation perspective. Correct. But to your point, there are a lot of hurdles. Is there a chance? Is there a chance that it does not ever happen?
4: I don't think that it never happens. I think that it eventually will happen. Do I expect it to happen within the next year based on people that I have talked with within the auto industry? No. Do I think that we will see advancements where you see it in geo-fenced areas as you do in California and in San Francisco? You see it in Phoenix. You're going to see it soon in Austin. And we're talking about Waymo and, and, and some of the others, the crews that are doing that. But at the same time, when Elon says full self-driving, I'm, I'm expecting these vehicles to pick me up here in Times Square, take me to Brooklyn, take me somewhere else, and I never see any kind of an engagement. Most people that I've talked with have said, we're not close. We're very close, but we're not there. You cannot say we're going to be at 100% anytime soon.
2: Yeah, it was pretty you know Ross, obviously, listen, uh, I was recently in your town, L.A., okay? First yeah. off, Santa Monica Boulevard, every third car was a Tesla. So I kind of understand why people in L.A. are bullish on Tesla as well. And I thought if I walk into traffic, will that car stop on its own? Is Do you think that FSD, full self-driving, is going to unlock that, you know, 5x value of the car that Musk told David about?
5: It's just a couple of things. First of all, I don't know if Phil has used the software lately. Uh, I use it every day and I just drove to work with it. And it's amazing. Like. The fact it's not perfect, thats I don't think that's up for debate. It's not perfect yet. But I was following behind a driver who was extremely poor at driving. And in L.A., I'm sure you would agree with me, Sully, that most drivers are just horrendously bad. Just horrendously bad. It's, it's, it's already better than most humans. So if you're over 80 and you're driving, this is already better than you on the road. So the idea is that the expectation that is it's got to be perfect or close to it and that's what makes this so difficult to solve and driving in LA is just like a madhouse so If you think about this as a solution in most cities around the country, it already works very good, and it's only a matter of time till it works completely. So I think that when you use the software daily and you see how quickly it's learning, your perspective is very different than if you don't use the software or have never used the software at all. So it seems like most people who opine about it have never actually used it.
4: Brian, wait wait a second. I'm not debating that the full self-driving software is better than... 99% of the human drivers. We are terrible drivers. That's not the debate. The debate is when he says we will have full self-driving autonomous vehicles. That means 100% or 99.99.9%. Because if it's not at that level, at some point, the regulators will step in. So it's not that it has to be better than us. It already that, is better than us. That's a fair, it's better than
5: us, but you gotta look at it from a different perspective. One of the problems with full self-driving is it's gotta work around humans, the other human drivers. This Correct. is most of the reason I have to disengage is because other people do really dumb stuff and, and I've got to, like, make an evasive maneuver or something. But you like, are
4: 100 percent s- right. But if you tell me that I can take my car at some point and it's full self-driving and it takes me to work at CNBC and then I say, toodaloo, go off and you can be a robo-taxi for somebody, there's nobody behind the wheel, you, you know what I'm talking about. Ross, the, the, the humans, th- that's the equation. It's going to take time. I'm not disagreeing with that. $284 And that's what you just said
5: is the point. It's going to yeah, take time. Yeah, I'm not time. disagreeing yeah. that Guys, level five economy a a co- good, good, is going good, good to be a very difficult challenge.
2: I want to keep it up. I want to keep it up because I dream of full self-driving every day stuck in traffic, Ross and Phil. Right. Love to be able to actually get work done as opposed to, you know, veering over to the side for my life on the turnpike. Gary Black, will it affect the stock? Let's bring it back to investors. If indeed this comes out and it's so good, would is it going to move the stock maybe five times like the car is worth five times? Because they're the only ones that are likely going to have it. And all of a sudden people realize my car can make money for me.
6: Look, you guys are going down the wrong path. There's three takeaways from this meeting today and none of them was FSD. There was nothing new presented about FSD. The three takeaways were one. They're going to try advertising and see how it goes. That is a totally new approach by Elon and something we've talked about for a long time. And Ross has talked about a long time. It's a way you can add a lot of value to Tesla and bring it close to Apple's market cap because you're not just relying on price to drive EV adoption. That was the first big point. Second big point is somebody asked Elon about the rumors about him leaving as CEO, and he said bluntly, it ain't so. He's not going anywhere. That's important. And the third big aha that I had was, There's two new next generation products. And he put a number, it said 5 million units on the two units. And it's probably a $25,000 hatchback and a $25,000 baby SUV. Those are the three most important points from today's meeting. Because the stuff he talked about at FSD was not new.
2: Do you worry, Gary, about these price cuts impacting margins? It appears that investors, great, $25,000 SUV, that's electric SUV, sounds great on paper until you're losing $10,000 a car.
6: Well, don't look at it as a price cut. So if you think about Master Plan 1, it's all about accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy by bringing out cheaper and cheaper products. So you start with Model S, you start with Roadster, then you go to Model S, then you go to Model 3, now you're going to go with Model 2. So these new next-generation cars are going to cost half a the so they're not going to lose money on these cars. They're probably going to make close to 20% margins on a dollar amount. It'll be a little bit less. That's very different from just cutting price on an existing product. So, where, we, and I asked him a question at the end. I said, can you differentiate between your strategy of bringing out a so-called Model 2 that costs $25,000 and, and taking a price cut on Model Y, which will be the best-selling car in the world? And he talked, you know, he didn't really answer the question, but what it sounded like he said is, look, we're trying to figure out supply and demand on a real-time basis mm-hmm. every day. And, and, and my takeaway is, they are not going to be cutting price again a model what they've done and you know they took prices down at the beginning of the year 15 20 and they've been inching them back up so that's the reason tesla has been actually going up a little bit in the last couple of weeks because people say it looks like the end of the price cuts and it looks like second quarter is going to be the bottom of where gross margins are and so i tried to get them answer that question yeah. He didn't really go yeah. for it but but that 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 was not an important takeaway because you really didn't answer the question but the three most important takeaways They will try advertising, which Ross and I have both been on Tesla about for at least a year now. Come on, Gary, Gary, aren't you ready
5: to have a party tonight?
6: We are. (laughs) and As you can see, I'm sitting on the bus outside the factory. And then the third is these two next-generation products. Everybody's thinking one, but one's going to be a hatchback. One's going to be a BSV. And the five million units, that's the first time he's put out a number. And I think that's a really important point to do be because and and that's why the stock will be up tomorrow, not because yeah. of that. Budget. And Brian, yes, and Phil.
4: Gary hits on a great point with those two uh, lower priced models. Their cost of goods right now is already a huge challenge for their competitors. They that's get it. the gigafactory in Mexico going David, David watch out. A,
2: Phil David did a masterful interview, a lot of wide ranging topics. Obviously, can't get to everything. I would have I would have liked to have heard more about are you don't don't play the music. Kind of ask, I'm going to ask Phil this question, whether we play the music or not. Phil, are you trying to basically put Rivian and Lordstown and Fisker and maybe uh, one of the Detroit companies basically out of business, kill their EV business before it really even scales up? I don't think he's worried about
4: the startups. I don't think he's worried about the startups. And I don't think he's thinking about the traditional automakers. I think he is looking at what is the most... what's the logical next step in terms of our product portfolio? And as Gary mentioned, and as Ross has talked about, it's that entry-level vehicle. And if you can come in, my God, the number of people I talk Mm -hmm. with who say, "God, if I could get a Tesla for $25,000, I would do it in a heartbeat. If you can come up with that, if they can find a way and to be profitable with it, that is a huge, I mean, that's going to be really tough for anybody to compete with. Absolutely. At least here in North America. 100%. Absolutely. and then We'll they'll make say,
2: it Mexico. Yep. Get, we got to go, guys. Uh, we had to go five minutes ago, apparently. Phil LeBeau, Ross Gerber, Gary Black, guys, great discussion. Thank you very much. All right. Much more Musk and the latest on the debt ceiling showdown as well over the hour. But right now, the markets did trade today, by the way. And here's what happened. There was a lot of red on the screen. All the major indexes fell. Dow dropped over just percent which is, by the way, the sixth down day in the past. Seven small companies got hit the hardest, but a trend lately. The small cap index now down over 3% this year. Small caps tend to sell off if people fear there's a recession coming because they are domestic companies. All right, was stocks up? Yeah, AMD the best performer. Caesars Entertainment down 7%, the worst performer. Also quick, take a look at futures. See where we might be again. Thinly traded, super early, but a little green on the screen. All right, up next. Much more breaking coverage of Elon Musk's sit-down with David Faber, including what comes next for him at Twitter.
1: Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is
7: I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan.
1: Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
8: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is
1: the, the, there's no question that uh, some of the people who were let go probably shouldn't have been let go because we we simply did not have the time to figure out uh, we had to be you know make make widespread cuts uh, to get the burn rate under control. So um, you know, and uh, so so this is not to say that hey everyone who was let go from Twitter is like somehow terrible or something. It's just we we have to with very little information. Um, uh, Get get the the uh, the headcount expenses and, and the, the, the non-personnel expenses down uh, to where we're at least break even, and uh, we're not, we're not quite at break even yet, but we're but we're close. I mean, we will end up
3: hire people. Do you think or are you yeah, ready yeah, for absolutely. people
1: to be hired at Twitter? Yeah, no, I, I think we, we absolutely um, uh, need to need to hire people.
2: All right, welcome back. That of course, Elon Musk earlier in the last hour on CNBC. Let's get more reaction and talk about the Twitter side of the interview. Joining us tonight is CNBC senior media and tech correspondent Julia Borston, Deepwater Asset Management Managing Partner Gene Munster, and Vanity Fair contributing editor and CNBC contributor Bethany McLean. Julia, first off, uh, what stuck out to you about the Twitter side of their conversation?
0: Well, he talked about what dire straits Twitter was in when he bought it. He compared it to an airplane that was plummeting. He neglected to note uh, when he was talking about how he tried to get out of that purchase that he said he didn't want to do any due diligence on the company, so he opted out of due diligence. Um, and yet he talked about what a what a horrible company it was once he got inside. So he noted that um, that he really thought Linda Yaccarino, who he just hired from NBC Universal to be the new CEO of Twitter, would really turn things around. And he said that he thought their their partnership would be very much complementary. Um, and would free him up to focus on the product while she focused on the business side, was very bullish about that. And he talked about advertising, saying he wants advertising to be entertaining, um, which is, of course, what you will see if you uh, watch ads in the Super Bowl, wants ads to be entertaining and informative. And he actually blamed some of the decline in advertising on the fact that people had made comments and complained that certain ads were inaccurate and misleading. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why he said ads had declined. But. Uh, Really notable here that he said he was willing to give up ad dollars if it meant he could speak his mind, which was a top priority for him personally.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you know, Bethany, I want to get your grade. If you're going to grade Elon Musk on how he's done so far, it's very early on Twitter now with Linda coming in. I love the community notes feature because it's sort of anonymous. It's not like you've got to go after somebody like the president and say, well, it's not really that accurate or here's the context. It's the crowd. Right, as he called it, I think the cyberkinetic mind of society. How would you grade Musk?
7: So I think, it's, as Julia was saying, I was laughing a little bit as she as she talked, smiling in agreement. But there, there, there is a lot to be done with Twitter. I don't think anybody who was a user of Twitter would say that it was a perfect product, and there was a lot that could be done to make it better. And I hope that Musk gives it that 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 chance. But to To me, he sounds like a spoiled child when he talks about free speech and his desire to be able to say whatever he wants, because words have consequences. And there are a couple of ways to think about free speech. One is that whatever it means to you, and we can all agree or disagree on that. But the second, if you run a business that depends on advertisers, you might have to think about it a little bit differently. And Musk seems to be utterly unwilling to to make that distinction. And I don't know what that means for Twitter's future. I don't think based on estimates of how how far Twitter's advertising revenue has fallen, that it that it means good things. And Twitter's debt load doesn't give it a lot of room to maneuver. Musk might want it to be a toy, but it's but it but it's but it's not. And he's for all that he's brilliant and, you know, one of our greatest minds, entrepreneurs, whatever. He's never run a business during a time of rising interest yeah. rates when capital is a challenge. And he's not making life easy for himself on Twitter. He's not giving himself a lot of rope. In I almost feel like
2: I, I agree, I, but I almost feel like Gene. That's kind of part of the strategy, right? He wants to he wants to sort of rattle the cage, get people to engage more in Twitter. It's now his investment. There's probably private stock in there somewhere. People have it, but it's it's his baby. It's his dollar. Listen, I've been tweeting more because we've launched a new show, so I'm kind of doing the same thing on a much smaller scale. Do you have a take on how he has done? not only on Twitter, but by hiring Linda Yacarino, our former executive,
9: that he can focus more on Tesla or maybe something else? And yeah, maybe he us for Iacorino, that's a, that's a big hire. Ultimately, I think there's a bigger question about what's going on with Twitter. And I think uh, it really uh, sits down with what happens around free speech. And uh, I see this uh, vector as being something that's critically important. I just want to take one quick step back is that what's different about Twitter today versus uh, what uh, from a product perspective versus a year ago is the rails. And what he said today in the interview with David was that uh, free speech is going to reign, And as you mentioned, Brian, is that the community notes are going to police that. And there's a lot that rides on that. And I would just put this, um, you know, the, the key takeaway as, as this. From a business perspective, I think it's going to be difficult to have a thriving advertising business when you have a community that's divided. What he's ultimately talking about is truth, and truth is ambiguous. And so I think that there is, it's going to be tough to police that, even with a community separately from, uh, I think, that uh, Twitter's engagement. I use Twitter. I think that it's a great way to uh, connect with an audience. And so I think that, uh, that that will continue to be a platform to do that. And so yeah. it almost comes out to be a, a product that benefits people, but doesn't necessarily have a great business behind it. Well, let's, let's go now to Musk's own words, Julia, then we'll get your comment. Musk
2: also reaffirmed his commitment to truth, even if it put him against advertisers
1: so i think sometimes advertising is uh perhaps uh not informative or perhaps uh some in some cases a bit misleading um and in fact we've we've lost some advertisers on on twitter because community notes applies to advertising too and so if somebody advertises something that isn't um, uh, 's perhaps a, a bit inaccurate, uh, then it gets community noted mm-hmm. and then they they get mad and stop advertising uh, but we're we, we care enough about uh, the, the truth that we're willing to give up give up advertising dollars on Twitter even if uh, you know in, in order to to uh, have the most the, the least inaccurate right uh,
2: i mean julia you 're kind of grinning here we all know listen advertising is designed to sell us a product or a service, so I think you sounded a little bit. Sort of almost immature saying, well, it can be misleading sometimes that that said, what is Linda? You know, Linda, what do you think Linda's going to do when she walks in the door at Twitter and says, here is job one?
0: Well, what I would say is what's notable is I know that many advertisers were concerned about advertising on Twitter in the week of in the wake of Elon Musk taking over because of concerns about brand safety on the platform. One thing that Linda Iacarino used to really promote about the value of NBC Universal's content was the fact that it was premium content. It was not user-generated. You knew what you were going to get. You knew you didn't have to worry about your ad and your brand being next to something that might be misleading or might be inappropriate. Um, or might even be derogatory or biased. And so what he's saying here is that these advertisers pulled back because, or certain advertisers pulled back um, because they didn't like being flagged for having their ads yeah. being misleading. But the reality is, is that many advertisers said, we are concerned about the fact that trust and safety teams were, were fired, a lot of employees left that were responsible for the safety of the content on the platform, and we're concerned as advertisers about what kind of content our, our brands are yeah. going to be next to. And that is going to be order number one of business for Linda Iaccarino to convince all the advertisers that she worked with so closely when she was at NBC Universal that Twitter is a brand-safe platform and they don't have to worry about inappropriate or misleading or offensive content being next to their ads. Well,
2: But, I, I, you know, I would say, Julia, that I've been on Twitter a long time. It's always been there. And and people, you know, it's funny. You, I think, Bethany, you said Twitter's not perfect. You know what's not perfect? People. There's a lot of nasty people out there, right? And you can thank God for the mute button and the block button. I don't block. I like to mute people because, you know, you don't want to be cussed out when you're just scrolling through your timeline. That said... I did, and I want your comment. I loved his comments about verification. I know people pushing back on the blue check. Some celebrities like, I'm not going to do that. I like the edit button, but I also liked what he said. You got to have a phone number from a reputable carrier and, and a credit card, which means you're pre-vetted as an actual human. The account is real because what Musk sort of alluded to, and he kind of just dropped it in quietly, was manipulation of public opinion in whatever, maybe for democracy, maybe for voting, by mass use of fake accounts. And all of us on this panel know, you, I could probably for $1,000 manipulate Twitter and get something trending on Twitter. I like what Musk has done with the verification. Nobody cares what I think. What do you think? <laughs>
7: um, if, that's, if that's for me or for Julia.
2: No, for you, Bethany, of course.
7: Okay. <laughs> what do I think? Uh, I I agree with you about bots, I agree with you about verification. I think that's one of the ways in which Musk could make Twitter a more a more powerful place if he gives it if, if there if, if if there's time. I'm not sure I mean I've let my blue check go and kind of happily let it go, so I don't know what the trade off is gonna be between between those two things, between the 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 ver- verified users, which is a powerful and good thing, and people who say, Well I'm not gonna pay for that blue check anymore if, if anybody can have it. But back to Julia's point, I would I would also I thought the the idea that advertisers are leaving because of community notes is a really interesting And creative explanation, and I would love to see the breakdown of the number of advertisers who have left because their ads, the veracity of their ads, have been challenged, versus the number of advertisers. I've got so many things going through my head right now about
2: (laughs) community notes. Your product stinks,
7: right? Right. So I, I hope I hope I hope we, I hope Twitter has time. I hope Musk has time. I hope Linda gets time to try out some of these ideas and see if Twitter can be a better a yeah. better product. I just don't know how much time there is.
2: Yeah. And I and I, we're going to leave it there, guys. But I think that in, for our viewers and listeners who are not active Twitter users, and we know most people are not. But like what, 20 percent of Americans are even on Twitter. Twitter is arguably the most important social platform, maybe most important platform in the media. And so that's why it has sort of punches above its weight versus media platforms, social media platforms of a larger size, like a Facebook, et cetera. Bethany, Gene, Julia, thank you very much. All right. So among the many topics discussed, Musk's frustrations with the AI company that he helped create but is no longer a part of. That, of course, is OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT. Listen.
3: OpenAI. I mean, you seem somewhat frustrated with them. You were one of the big contributors early on. The reason
1: I am the reason OpenAI exists. Joining us now is Dan Niles, founder and senior
2: portfolio manager for the Story Fund. Uh, do you believe that would would OpenAI not exist if it wasn't for Musk? Uh,
3: that's correct. I mean, he put in about fifty million dollars or so. He spearheaded that formation and he helped recruit a lot of the senior people that work there. So I think that's a pretty accurate statement.
2: Do you feel like, I mean, it seems like he he's, I don't know if he's sad that he kind of lost control of, quote, his baby, if he's angry about it, um, but it fe- it feels certain. And he's, he's made comments to the point too, Dan, that he's going to do something about it with a competitor. What do you think Elon Musk would love to do with AI, even outside of Tesla?
3: Well, I mean... It- You know, he said on that interview with uh, David Faber that, you know, he feels like an idiot because he did lose control of it. He didn't see it going this way. I mean, it went from a nonprofit uh, open system to now a profit um, closed system. And so for him, he wants to build something that goes back to the roots of what he originally had envisioned for it. And the one thing you don't want to do with Elon Musk is underestimate him. He's yep. obviously proven that he can disrupt all sorts of industries um, by his immense intellect. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. But obviously, Tesla is one of those names that doesn't necessarily get brought up in the AI conversation as one of the leaders in it. And they absolutely are one of the leaders in it. Mm-hmm. And so he's obviously got a lot of resources he can bring to bear if he wants to yep. start another AI company, which he said he
2: does. The interview also went geopolitical, and Musk's comments on U.S.-China tensions also caught your attention. Let's listen, and then I want to get your reaction to this on the other
3: side. Do you think, for example, China will, will make a move to take control of Taiwan?
1: The official, the official, the official policy of China is uh, that... Um, one should be integrated. Mm-hmm. One does not need to read between the lines. One can simply read the lines.
3: That would not be good for Tesla, conceivably, or for any, any company in the world, frankly. Yes, for any company in the world.
1: I, I think most, almost no, no one realizes that uh, uh, the Chinese economy and the, global, the rest of the global economy are like conjoined twins. Uh, it, it would be like trying to separate conjoined twins. That—that's the severity of the situation. It's likely to happen. I'm simply saying that—that that is their policy, and I think you should take their word seriously.
3: <laughs>
1: they mean it.
2: I mean, Dan, those are those are pretty terrifying comments if you if you play them out.
3: Well, I mean, if you read our investment letter when we entered 2022, so about whatever, eight, you know, 16 months ago or so. We said at the time we thought one of the risks in 2022 was Russia invading the Ukraine and China reunifying Taiwan. We got the first part of it. I fully expect the second part of it at some point, because as he rightly pointed out, um, Xi Jinping has made no, uh, as Elon Musk said, you don't have to read between the lines. He has said Taiwan's an integral part of China and that's one of the things he wants to yeah. get accomplished before he steps down. So I, he's 100% right, and people would think otherwise. Well, it could be if, true if that, just because- Dan, I'm
2: gonna, if, if that occurs, we don't know if it'll occur. Let's say China militarily goes into Taiwan. Okay, I've talked to people who believe it will happen, talked to others who believe it won't. If it does, what happens to Apple? Does Apple fall 20% in a day?
3: Probably. I mean, you're gonna see a whole lot of companies getting absolutely hammered because, obviously, TSMC is the world's foundry. And so they can cut off chips to Apple, NVIDIA, AMD, et cetera, which is why the US government got involved late, but the whole CHIPS Act and trying to get domestic manufacturing up and running is so vitally important. The good news is Russia has run into so much resistance with Western powers uniting behind uh, the Ukraine, that that's yeah. changed China's timeline. And so it may take longer to act, which gives us more time to get prepared. But I 100 percent believe, and I've said this for you know well over a year, that China will at some point go in to reunify right. with Taiwan. And, and
2: then you wonder, does the, does the world like we did with, with, with Russia and Ukraine, does the world then say, OK, you're invading Taiwan? Guess what? Uh, whatever you think of the nation, we're going to boycott and ban all Chinese made products, which is what, 90 yeah. percent of our, our products. Dan, we got to we yeah. got to leave it there. That's a great conversation. Scary to think about, but a good combo. Thank you. All right. A quick programming note, by the way, you can hear from Dan Niles and other top advisors, investors, experts, technologists and economists at the virtual financial advisor summit on June 15th. Scan the QR code to register or visit cnbceventscom slash financial advisor sign up today. All right, that is in a month. Coming up in two minutes, Elon on space. Plus, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy gives the ever smallest hint of a debt ceiling deal being possible. Maybe soon. Try to read the tea leaves. Coming up.
8: This episode is brought to you by AARP.
2: All right, now it is time for tomorrow's news tonight, the stories that you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. And aside from Elon Musk, because there is news, President Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy are both giving the slightest hints of optimism after today's debt ceiling negotiations at the White House. Eamon Javers joining us now with what happened and what still needs to happen. Amen.
10: Yeah, Brian, I would say it was more than a slight burst of optimism. There was actual real optimism out there in Washington today as congressional leaders emerged from those White House negotiations without a deal necessary, but with a little bit of good feeling. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said the two sides are still far apart in his words, but he also said this.
6: It is possible to get a deal by the end of the week. It's not that difficult to get to an agreement. When you think about Limit, Save, Grow, the bill we passed, we raise the debt ceiling. We cap future spendings. We grow grow our spending in Congress by 1% each year.
10: And we also heard from President Biden who spoke of something that's awfully hard to find in Washington DC these days, and that's consensus.
11: There was an overwhelming consensus I think in today's meeting the congressional leaders that defaulting on the debt is simply not an option. Our economy would fall into recession, it would devastate retirement accounts, increase borrowing costs, and according to Moody's nearly 8 million Americans would lose their jobs and our international reputation would be damaged in the extreme if we let that happen.
10: Brian, we also learned today that the two sides have agreed on a new structure for the negotiating teams and putting staff level negotiators in place to wrangle out all the details, which implies that there are details to be wrangled out. So on the White House side, those uh, those negotiations will be held by Biden advisor, a longtime Biden advisor, Steve Roschetti, and OMB director Shalanda Young. So uh, clearly, we do expect that something is being negotiated if you're putting a team in place to negotiate it, Brian. that's It's, a it's bit amazing. All, all
2: this negotiation, it's like people we've never heard of. Eamon, stay with us. Bring in Dan Clifton, head of policy and re- research at the strategic securities, Dan. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of these other people actually doing the the sort of making the sausage, if you will. we going to get a deal here in the next couple of days.
11: Yeah, I do think we're going to get a deal. It may not be the next couple of days, but we got to work through it. Look at directionally, we're moving all all in the right way. Uh, No, there will be no negotiation. We're going to have a clean debt ceiling increase. The House passes a bill. The Senate can't. There's a negotiation happening. That negotiation had lacked urgency, and it lacked the ability of people to make decisions in the negotiations. That was the big problem coming into today. Once you change the structure, as, as Eamon just noted, you've now accelerated the timetable. The bid-ask, Brian, is not that very far apart. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. We now agree there will be some spending cap. How that's structured? Very hard to decide, but that's what they're deciding on. They also are going to talk about energy permitting reform. And I think there's broad agreement that COVID money should go away. Where you'll see a sticking point is over work requirements. It's becoming a red line. Do you put work requirements on food stamps and Medicaid? But don't they, Dan, don't the work requirements requirements already, as I I
2: understand it, I may be wrong. I was looking at a bunch of stuff, emailing people in D.C. office today. There are, the work requirements exist. The GOP is trying to raise them from the age of 50 to 55.
11: Is that correct? Well, that, that's a the, No, 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 no. The, the work requirements that are now in there, they have to they're trying to expand the hours work, not on age. I think you're referring to age, but on the hours worked is where they're trying to go to. Got and it. if you're already working, it's no big deal. If not, it probably helps you find a job. But listen, this has to be yeah. a bipartisan bill. You're only going to get 130 Republicans in the House. The Democrats are going to have a say in what's that. And I think that's what they were coming to is that everybody understands now that there needs to be a compromise after weeks and weeks of saying we're not yeah. going to compromise. And that's a very big deal, I think.
2: Eamon, are we going to do this again next March? Yeah, Brian. I'm going to look past this deal. We're going to do this again yes. next March because I'm told we're, there's an election We're going to do this year. every
10: time there's a debt. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to do this again and again and again, because it works, right? In Washington, it's valuable to have these inflection points because you can run up against them and you can get some concessions and you can cut a deal. You can't cut a deal unless there's a deadline. If there's a deadline, you've got power. That's why these things are not going away, I don't think. I will say just real quick, the mm-hmm. idea of, of one encouraging thing is we saw President Biden cave in completely on this concept of not negotiating, right? Yeah. He is negotiating. We also saw the Republicans not clobber David. him for it and not gloat and not spike the ball. So that's Amen. encouraging.
2: Got, got to leave. My, my buddy, I got eight seconds left. I appreciate it both. Dan and Eamon, thank you very much. Squawk picking up the coverage
8: tomorrow. We'll see you uh, tomorrow night. Take care. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.